The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. And he'll go play action, lobbing it down the middle of the field. Vandenberg is there! Matt Vandenberg with the splash play you asked for at the 16-yard line. 61 yards. And off the play action pass, Northwestern safety jumps up inside and then Vandenberg gets on the post. Middle open, it's an easy read for Nate Stanley and Nate Stanley drops it right in the shirt pocket of Vandenberg. Longest catch for Vandenberg this year by nearly double. Hello everyone, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Scott Docterman, who looks back at the Hawks' overtime loss at Northwestern and pre Reviews this week's Iowa-Minnesota game in the annual battle for Floyd of Rosedale. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Minnesota's P.J. Fleck. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include sports reporter Scott Docterman of the TheLandOf10.com and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Chumeland and Jack Bransgard. Game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with announcers Jason Bonetti and Kelly Stouffer. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Under a minute, third down and one. Stanley to throw. Wide open touchdown. Noah Fant with nobody around. Jason, this play was based on formation. Brian Ferentz, the offensive coordinator for Iowa, had a three-by-one set, and to the one side was Noah Fant, and also the fullback, Brady Ross, in there for Drake Kulak. And it ended up, Northwestern chased the fullback out to the flat and completely dropped Noah Fant, the big tight end, standing there all along. Hawkeyes Mike programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. The Iowa Hawkeyes play host to the Minnesota Golden Gophers this Saturday at Kinnick Stadium in the annual battle for Floyd of Rosedale. Both teams have 4-3 and three records overall and are 1-3 and three in conference play. Neither of these teams is still contending for the Big Ten West Division title, but a win is very important for both and could ultimately be helpful in bowl slotting, assuming they become bowl eligible. The Hawkeyes are coming off a bad 17-10 overtime loss at Northwestern, where they're offense turned in its worst performance of the year. The Hawkeyes' wins include Wyoming, Iowa State, North Texas, and Illinois, with losses to Penn State, Michigan State, and Northwestern. Those three losses have been decided by one possession each, and two came down to the final plays of the games. The Golden Gophers beat Illinois 24-17 in Minneapolis last weekend. Minnesota's wins have come against Buffalo, Oregon State, Middle Tennessee, and Illinois. Its losses 
came at the hands of Maryland, Purdue, and Michigan State. The Bronze Pig currently resides in Iowa City after the Hawkeyes won 14-7 at Minnesota last year. This is the 111th meeting between the two schools, with the Gophers holding a 62-46-2 and advantage overall. Iowa has won 12 of the last 16 meetings. It's 29-23-1 and in games played in Iowa City, including wins in the last seven games played at Kinnick Stadium. Floyd of Rosedale has been at stake for the last 82 games. Iowa has won 12 of those last 16. Kirk Ferentz is in his 19th season heading the Hawkeyes with a record of 139-95 and at Iowa. He's just 4-1 shy of tying Hayden Fry as the winningest head football coach in Iowa history. Both Ferentz and Fry rank in the top seven in the Big Ten in terms of overall wins as well as conference wins. Kirk's career mark as a head coach is 151 and 116. P.J. Fleck is in his first year heading up the Gophers program where his record is 4-3. and three. Fleck rode his boat over from Western Michigan where his record there over four years was 30-22. and 22. Three key questions for this game. Will Iowa's offense and rushing game, along with O.C. Brian Ferentz, recover from their collective abysmal performance in Evanston? Can Iowa's passing game and QB Nate Stanley put up points against a Minnesota defensive secondary that has been plagued by injuries and, as a result, is somewhat suspect? And can Iowa's defense slow down the Gophers' potent rushing offense? In game notes, Floyd is one of four trophy games Iowa plays. The Hawkeyes have already retained the Cy Hawk Trophy with their win earlier this season at Iowa State. The Heartland Trophy will be at stake in the game against Wisconsin. And the Heroes Trophy will be up for grabs in the season ender at Nebraska. Iowa currently holds three of those four trophies. The Heartland Trophy currently resides in Madison. Minnesota, much like Illinois, fields one of the youngest and most inexperienced teams in the nation. And will be playing a road game for only the third time this year. 49 of the Gophers' 110 players are freshmen or redshirt freshmen, and 76 overall are underclassmen. Despite that youth and inexperience, the Gophers are one of the least penalized teams in the FBS, with the second fewest penalties per game and fewest penalty yards per game. 25 penalties for 230 yards on the season. That's only a 32.9 penalty yards per game average. The Iowa-Minnesota game features an unusual 5.30 p.m. kickoff and will be televised by FS1 with announcers Joe Davis and Brady Quinn. It will be broadcast on the Hawkeye Radio Network with Gary Dolphin and Ed Podolak and can also be heard on Satellite Radio, XM Channel 196, and Sirius Channel 134. Iowa's depth chart is largely unchanged from the Northwestern game. Most importantly, linebacker Josie Jewell has been back at practice and is expected to start Saturday. Safety Brandon Snyder, however, is still out for this game. Safety Amani Hooker is now listed as the starter with the or for Miles Taylor removed. Cornerback Manny Ragamba is back and listed as the starter. And defensive tackle Matt Nelson is listed ahead of Cedric Lattimore in the interior defensive line. True freshman Ryan Gersandi continues to be listed as the starting punter after a solid performance at Northwestern. Running back James Butler's status as of midweek remained uncertain. He's been cleared to play, so we'll see what's happening, and he has been practicing. Offensive lineman Boone Myers remains doubtful, and Ferentz hinted Tuesday that Myers might not return this season.
In the Big Ten, bye weeks are over for all of the schools. All four teams will be in action for the final five weeks of the regular season. In the East, three teams are tied with 4-0 conference records. Michigan State, Ohio State, and Penn State. Wisconsin leads the West, also with a 4-0 record. Nebraska and Northwestern are tied for second in that division at 2-2. The Big Ten has two of the remaining eight FBS undefeated teams. Penn State and Wisconsin are both 7-0 overall. The Nittany Lions are 16-1 in their last 17 games, while the Badgers have won a school record 10 straight Big Ten wins. The Buckeyes and Nittany Lions continue to rank in the top 20 nationally in both scoring offense and scoring defense. It will be interesting to see if that stat holds after their huge matchup this Saturday in Columbus. Key results from last week included Rutgers surprising Purdue 14-12, Michigan State squeaking by at Indiana 17-9, and Penn State dominating Michigan 42-13. Games this weekend? Well, of course, the big one, Penn State at Ohio State, Michigan State at Northwestern also, and Nebraska at Purdue in a who-can-pick-that-one contest. One more look back at Iowa's 17-10 overtime loss to Northwestern last Saturday. The Prefense Defensive Player of the Week, that was split three ways. Linebackers Bo Bauer and Kevin Ward both had career-high tackles, 11 and 4 respectively. And defensive tackle Nathan Budgeta had a terrific game, and he had a career-high 1.5 sacks. Prefence hand sanitizer and surface protectant. Remember, the best defense is Prefence. And the TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal Coach of the Week. There's only one choice, if for no other reason than process of elimination. But defensive coordinator Phil Parker earns this for constructing the defense that held NU to just 10 points in regulation. Iowa coulda, shoulda, oughta won that game if the offense even made more than a token appearance. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong, building safe since 1962. Post game show is brought to you by Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. And here is the game with fourth down and three on the horizon. Remember in two clutch situations earlier in this game, we saw Noah Fan on the stick route. First game was back in 1897. The 2017 version comes down to this moment. Wadley is the back. Fant still at the bottom of the formation with the two wide on the same side. Fourth down, Stanley. They had the stick route, and it didn't connect. Northwestern wins. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who previewed Iowa-Minnesota. Minnesota comes in here, same record as we have. They've, they're a team that's enjoyed success. They're a nine-win ball club last year and beat Washington State in their bowl games. So got a lot of players on their team that understand what it takes to be successful. You know, they're, they're a good football team the last two times we've played them. Both games have gone down basically to the last possession. So, you know, all that stuff lines up. And then certainly to be back home in Kinnick will be good. And night game in Kinnick's always very very special and then with Floyd at stake on top of that that's uh, just an extra extra bonus so I know both teams are excited about that. Barron's was asked about the progression and development of place kicker Miguel Racinos. The best part of the story uh, to me is how bad he was in the spring I, I don't I, I should say it collectively the group was just really unimpressive uh, this spring very inconsistent and then you know Shudak got hurt in the out of season so that that compounded it uh, that was a position I was really concerned about in August you know going into the start of camp let me correct that July we started in July this year, right? So going into camp, uh, I was really concerned about that whole group. And uh, fortunately, you know, both he and Dunk have performed better. But Miguel's really done a good job. You know, as, as inconsistent as he was and erratic as he was, I'd use those two words back in the spring. Uh, he's really been the other way. 
But but it's kind of like the quarterback situation. You, you know, until guys get out in games, you're not quite sure what's there. And I think the other day was a good good representation of that because you know he had a tough tough opportunity that first time uh, into that win. And that win was tough the other day. And then you know the game was on the line certainly when he uh, he nailed that 38 yarder. So uh, I think we've seen an awful lot of growth. Really really happy for him and proud of him for uh, for him pushing through because there were you know there were questions about him not that that long ago. Kirk was asked to compare starting quarterback Nate Stanley to some of his past QBs. Well, you know, Rick, Ricky really didn't win the job till about this time, a little bit earlier, but, uh, you know, turn of, turn of September, October in 08, and that's when he won that job. You know, so it was, it was a battle for him to get on the field, first of all. Nate, Nate you know, uh, won it coming out of camp. But I think the one commonality, my memory's not all that good, but the commonality thing I think about with guys that are good quarterbacks typically is how they handle the adversity, how they handle the bad plays. You know, to, to end up on the starting field, usually you got to be pretty good just in, in terms of skills, but, uh, you know, how are you going to handle the tough situations? And uh, every quarterback goes through them, every player goes through them, but quarterbacks are, you know, just a more visible world they live in. And, uh, you know, everybody's got an opinion about quarterbacks. But to me, that's, that's been his strength. He's handled the things that haven't gone so well. Uh, seems to be unaffected by it. I'm sure he is, but he just kind of, he, he just goes back to work and keeps playing. So, you know, I, I think that's that makes us feel good that, you know, there's a chance here for him to continue to grow. Barron's was also asked about the importance of Stanley's demand both on and off the field it's just what he what he who he is really and the way he proje- projects himself and you know it's just him being him there's nothing put on about it he's just a genuine guy and that, you know most good players are like that the ones I've been around you, you bring up the the aims you know tripped aims and you know he and CJ very different quarterbacks different personalities that way but you know it's kind of a proving ground for CJ too coming out of Ames you know we felt you know because there's some really some sticky situations in 15 over there and to, to watch him handle that in the first time he was in an environment like that, Nate, this year the same way. Uh, different quarterbacks, but you see them handle uh, a really tough situation or a couple tough situations really well. So it just gives, I think, gives everybody confidence that, hey, there's something to this guy. And really, doesn't matter if the guy's a talker, a non-talker, tall, short, you know, all that stuff. It's just how they how they conduct themselves. And, you know, Brad Banks out here in 02. You know, I mean, what, what a worse moment you could have. Uh, again, same opponent. Uh, second half, what a worse moment you could have. But for him to come back the way he did in you know, I know I, I can only imagine how he felt, uh, you know, after that. But what he did to, to fix things and move forward, I mean, that's that's the beauty in the game. So, you know, if a player can do that, a team can do that, uh, then, you know, you can feel really good about, about what you accomplish afterwards. At Tuesday's media availability, some of the players pondered replacing the bronze Floyd with a live pig as the trophy. Kirk talks about that. Those guys are like way ahead of me. You know, I have not given any thought to that. So I'm not sure what we'd do. I mean, we'd find a really nice home for him. I know that during the course of the, uh, then you got to worry about somebody like the Paulsons trying to kidnap it. And, you know, who knows what they, they might do. So probably not a good idea. Floyd is pretty good just the way he is right now. Looks really happy. He's got to, you know, he's doing well. Next, we hear from Minnesota head coach P.J. Fleck. Now, as you know, if you're a regular listener, normally we do three to five shortcuts from each of the head coaches. Fleck, though, he's a different animal, especially if you haven't heard him much before. So we're going a little longer with the Gophers head coach in the show to give you a better sense of who he is and how he goes about things. Buckle up. 
Fleck gives his overview of the Iowa-Minnesota rivalry. Well, the great thing is, is I might not have a lot of ties to the state of Minnesota in terms of where I was from or where I've coached, but uh, I did recruit it, right, uh, when I was in my first years at uh, Northern Illinois University. But I grew up in Big Ten country in Chicago, right? So I grew up in it. I got a chance to follow all the rivalries, and uh, I always thought that was really neat. You know, I always used to play the uh, video games, too, and NCAA and those games, and you'd have all, you'd play for all the trophy games, and you educate yourself that way. But when you actually start to think about the history, uh, you know, of the Floyd of Ro- Floyd of Rosedale and 1935 and how it originated and and what it was made from and, and the governors and the bets they the bet they had and it's, it's just very special. This is why you play in the Big Ten and this is why you coach in the Big Ten. This is why you come to the University of Minnesota to play in all these historic rivalries. It's very important. Uh, it's the next game. And I never want our players to have to play so much better in one game because it's this game and then slough off in another game because it isn't a rivalry. You have to be able to keep the balance throughout the season of continue to change your best, continue to grow, continue to grow in all the fundamentals and details as a player, as a coach, and evolving through our culture and through our systems as well. But uh, it's an honor. I'm really honored to be able to coach in this rivalry and uh, represent our team to be able to represent past, present, and future Gopher teams. But it means a lot. It really does. This is a, uh, it really is a a dream come true, to be honest with you, to be coaching in in games like this. And uh, it's going to be a heck of an environment at Kinnick Stadium. We know that. 5.30 kickoff. I don't know if you called that a night game or a midday game. I'm not sure what you call that with the 5.30 kickoff, but it'll be dark soon enough. I know that. Black was asked how he goes about practices and what he tries to get out of them. I, I coach everybody. Coach everybody and coach everywhere. And that's one of my goals when I go out to coach. It's not just, hey, I'm going to be with the wide receivers. You know, that's my specialty. The offense is what I've kind of known the best over the years and, and been with. But that allows me to be with the defense more uh, because I can look from afar to see the offense, but be with the defense. Uh, but every drill, I'm coaching everybody. I'm, I'm around, making sure that I do everything I can. I was taught as a young coach, if I ever became a head football coach, everybody on your team deserves to be coached by the head coach every day. Now think about how hard that is, Mike, in, in terms of 125 kids. It's my job to talk to everybody during practice at some point. Now I have the energy to do it, and I don't have a checklist that I'm going like this with, so I'm not sure if I'm 100% every day, but I'm pretty close. Uh, everybody deserves it, and uh, everybody wants to be coached until you get coached. This isn't just head coach coming over to shake your hand and just say hi and, you know, wonderful job. We're coaching, but it's um, I take a lot of pride in that. Uh, I think everybody deserves to see the head coach everywhere, and uh, so that's kind of what I do. And then I'm coaching the coaches, but I don't coach the coaches on the field. I think a lot of coaches, you know, whether they're ripping a coach or whether they're ripping a coach in front of a player or whether they're, you know, coaching a coach to do something, I think that looks like an organization. What I do is I keep notes of practice, everything I want to talk to our staff meetings right after this meeting every day, uh, every Tuesday. And I have a list of probably 50 notes from practice that I share with our staff of what I want change or what I want to do or what drill I want ran or what I liked, what I didn't like, what we have to work as position groups, offense, defense, special teams. And those are notes for me to handle inside those doors with our coaches. But our job when our coaches are out there, man, I want them coaching. I want them coaching their position. They're the head coach of their position. So they should always have the respect and always have the eyes of their players and not have the coach butt in to do that. But I, I like coaching drills. You know, I, I love to coach. Part about being the head coach at times is you're not the position coach anymore. That's the one thing I do miss since I've become a head coach. You're not the position coach anymore. And I'm not a micromanager, so I'm not like, hey, move over, Matt Simon. I got this. I would never embarrass him that way, nor would I ever wanted to do that. That, that enable, that just that disables his the ability to become the coach that he needs to be. Educate him in here, then allowing him to go coach that, I think that's my job now. And I've had to learn that over the years.
Fleck opines on the importance of Kirk Ferentz being head coach at Iowa for the past 19 seasons. It's unheard of, but that's why they've had a lot of success over the years, and you can always count on Iowa always being in the mix. I mean, I know they're our rival, and but I respect people's coaching job. Remember, I'm a, I'm, I'm a coach, and I'm a fan of college football, and I love education. I love teaching. I love business. I love to watch how successful companies make it work. If you're changing your CEO every two years, I, I, I don't know many businesses that are successful when they do do that I don't same thing in football everybody changing their head football coach because the the uh, the magic formula didn't work every year I don't understand that what I you know you look back to how things became traditional football the the, the Woody Hayes the the Bo Schembechlers the Hayden Fries they were there forever you know Phil Fulmer at Tennessee I mean, they're there forever they, they, in, in this day and age it's hard to get a program to win to where the expectations of people from the outside are in two three years it's hard but the investment to be able to continue to do that and understand what's going on inside the program and the cultural sustainability of everybody being on the same page and always moving towards that goal. That's why Iowa's won, the, you know, had a ton of success, had some average years, continued to do that, but stay with the plan. And um, that's what we continue to tell our players, just continue to stay with the plan. Keep changing your best, keep rowing the boat. And that's why I continued our message to our fans, just keep rowing the boat, keep rowing the water. Remember, I'm the same guy who went 1-11. You know, and the next year somehow our staff got named Coach of the Year. And we were the, we were the biggest schmucks in the world year one, and uh, I I've never really took a lot of value in what people think of me in terms of uh, winning and losing. I want people to say he's making a difference. You know, if people say he's not making a difference and he's a complete jerk to talk to, that would affect me. But in terms of the wins, they'll come. You know, that, I, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about digging and, and building that that culture. And. Um, but if you're doing that, that that's, what, that's what Iowa has, and that's special. And I know that our rival, I'm not supposed to say nice things about that or something. I, I'm not into that either. You give credit where credit's deserved, and, uh, and that's why they were able to have that. And that's when I go back to recruiting and I go back to legacy. I mean, if you played at Iowa within the last 40 years, you're, most of the time those, those, those dads and moms are sending their kids to Iowa no matter what. Why? Because their dad played for Hayden Fry. Or they played for, their grandfather played for Hayden Fry, and their dad played for Kirk Ferris, or so on and so forth, whatever it was. There's that legacy. Here we have, well, I'm this guy's guy, or and I, I played for this coach, and I'm his guy, and I played for this coach, and I was in that era, and I was in this. And it's almost like it's, it's like this instead of everybody coming together. And, and that's that's what I want to bring here for for our alum, you know, and for the people in our past and present and then our future gophers that we can create something for a long time. And again, I'm getting on my soapbox and I'm preaching again. And I'm getting all your tweets. Stop talking. I get it. Uh, but uh, that's, that's our message. And that's what our message will always be. And that's why I came here. And Fleck talks about the first quarter wave at Kinnick Stadium when asked if his team will participate in that. First quarter wave at Iowa, first and foremost, I think, and this is a, a credit to them. I am who I am. I'm going to say what I, I, I have. I'm going to say no matter what. So I'll say this is I think that's my favorite tradition in college football. And I know it's just started. That is my favorite, favorite one for them to be able to do that. That's special. Those are moments and memories. Fans, players, the children in that hospital are going to remember the rest of their lives. And some of those children in that hospital have a very, very short life left. You know, I, I really look up to Iowa to do that. I mean, that's something I would love to do if it hung over our stadium. That's that's how you make a difference. You know, that's how that's why college football is really special is for traditions like that. You know, we'll we'll participate in that as well. And we look forward to it. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, that rivalry will be able to create something special for all the children in that hospital. And um, I know that you know our, our, our players spend a lot of time at Masonic Children's Hospital every week, Wednesday or Thursday. And, um, you know, children are very important in our lives. 
And uh, the Children's Hospital, no matter where it's been, has always been very important in our life as a Fleck family and always will be. So uh, we're very honored to partake in that uh, tradition. And like I said, that's my favorite. And uh, we've explained that to our kids, and we're really looking forward to doing that. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer, protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. Time now for our weekly Reporter's Notebook segment this week with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles online at landof10.com. You can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott looks back at the Northwestern game and previews of Saturday's contest versus Minnesota, discussing Iowa's punch list for success at Kinnick Stadium. Scott, before we turn to the pig game, let's take one last look, sad look back at the game at Northwestern, one of the ugliest offensive performances overall in the final analysis that we've seen Iowa play recent history really but certainly this year yeah it was and I think in the second half it kind of showed I believe on first down they in the second half they ran the ball seven times and gained about one yard so that's that's unacceptable that's just something you can't do and you know I really felt like in the first half that they had a a good game plan that was you know the tendencies weren't evident it, it was a not it wasn't there wasn't anything wrong with it but then in the second half, it seemed to just go kind of conservative. It was almost Greg Davis-esque, if you will. I mean, it just, everything about it spelled doom. <laughs> and a lot of that was, uh, you know, the way they tie- they tried to run with, with Wadley. I mean, you know, you know what he is. He's a 190-pound running back that has explosive skills that we haven't seen at this university in 20 years. I would say since Tim Dwight and Tavian Banks. And so what do you try to do with somebody like that? You don't try to run them in the a gap, you know, into the teeth of a defense 15 times. And that's the problem with Iowa is they seem to never find a way to measure the athletes with marry the athletes with the system. It's always about the system and they need to really go to the heart of the matter, which is you have a running back with electric skills, get him in space, find a way to get him into space. And they just never seem to do that. And you've got a quarterback who can really sling it. And I think they're letting him go down the field, but I think they need to let him go down the field more. He's, he's sure he doesn't connect all the time, but he connects a lot more than people think. And uh, I think right now the strength of this team is, you know, a running back who can in space beat just about any defender one-on-one, and you got a quarterback who can sling it and throw it all over the field. So I think you've got to adapt your offense around your players, not just say, hey, we do it here this way, so we're going to keep doing it this way. And then, you, okay, you keep losing this way. So that's kind of where they are right now. Well, that leads right into the punch list for Iowa's offense to have some success against the Minnesota defense this weekend. Certainly the worst play-calling game so far with Brian Ferentz as offensive coordinator last Saturday, and they're 10th now in the Big Ten in total offense, 13th in rushing, and they only averaged 2.7 yards per carry last week in Evan 
Princeton. So specifically, what do they have to do here to get on track against the Minnesota defense, which has been pretty solid all season? 25th best scoring defense in the nation, 19th in total defense. Yeah, and uh, you know, not Iowa's played a lot of more difficult teams than Minnesota, but that's still that's those are numbers that over half of the season look pretty solid. So what you got to do is you got to respect them. They've got really good defensive tackles. You've got to make sure you are on top of them in that regard. And and I think Iowa has uh, has struggled with that. And what what they need to do is not say, hey, we we're a running team. We need to continue to run. They need to figure out that that their running game does not work. And it's because the the injuries in the offensive line has ruined have ruined any kind of cohesion. And therefore they need to uh, you know adapt. And I think outside running with Akram Wadley is probably what would work a little bit more. Uh, also, you know they they've toyed with putting him in the slot and they do it a couple of times and then they forget about it and you know and put it on a shelf and then they'll get it out you know when the relatives come over and that kind of thing and I, I just don't get that you know you have Torin Young who's a big physical running back sometimes you need to have him run the ball if you want to run the ball into the teeth of the defense and loosen it up a little bit and they just don't do that you know if they could put Akram in the slot a little bit more often they don't even have to use him <laughs> but it'd be good if they did but if they can just get him in the slot and another running back in the backfield then I think the defense will will be confused uh, and that would I think really help the the running game just loosen up a little bit because it's not going to be good this year however again there, you don't see that originality that you know except on a sporadic basis and then even the reverses sometimes get too cliche so when you're going against Minnesota's defense you know a little bit of misdirection will work but you know really they just they have to get Ackerman space and then you know kind of keep them honest if you will with a little more Torin Young up the middle really and somewhat surprisingly I think for most of us it's been Nate Stanley's passing that's made them competitive most of the season. In fact, Iowa has 17 touchdowns passing and only six rushing, and they're averaging nearly 219 passing yards per game. You wrote a story this week for landof10.com, and you interacted with Kirk at his press conference on Tuesday about trying to, to let Stanley have a little more control in these games and, and get things back on track in that way. Yeah, and I think that's what they need to do. They need to, whether that's, okay, you know, you're going to start the, the game in a, in a three-wide receiver set and him in shotgun and let him work it from there. Make sure there are underneath routes. Make sure there are routes maybe in the flat, you know, so you can use your ground control that way because right now you just, as you mentioned, you know, the statistically it's it's showing when you're one of the worst in the Big Ten running the football and you're yards per carry are at uh, lows that we haven't seen in some time you've got to adapt you've got to you've got to try to do something different I understand they want to be ball control but it's just not working so I think what they do need to do is allow Nathan Stanley to be the focus of this offense and that may be going to 60% of the time passing I know that they'll never completely shed their run heritage and I wouldn't ask them to because I like that style of football but I think that they just need to do something a little different you know when you're scoring 10 points against, uh, you know, Northwestern and you're scoring 10 against Michigan State, 19 against Penn State, and you've got, you know, good teams on the horizon, you're going to have to adapt. Otherwise, it's going to be 10 points against Wisconsin and 10 against Ohio State, and I guarantee they're scoring more than that. So uh, to me, it's it's put the ball in the hands of the guy who can do the most for you, and right now that's quarterback. Kirk did talk about the fact that some of these things are a little closer than they look, and, and he mentioned the, the run that Wadley had early that he came an ankle away from probably breaking a super long touchdown and that would have been another long touchdown for him on the ground and they're coming really close on some passes I mean that Northwestern game could have easily been a win if the right side of the line wouldn't have jumped on on fourth and inches down there in, near 
near the end of regulation. So when you when you look at coming up against Minnesota, and, and while their stats are decent, they have been a little susceptible to the pass. And so to your point, they are going to have to pass, and you can bet Minnesota's going to make them beat them by the pass too. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're going to have to pass. It's the only way that really they can win. I mean, every single team sees the blueprint. How do you stop Iowa? You load the box. Don't let Akram Wadley get past you. And then, you know, they, they don't respect Iowa's passing game, and they really haven't for a while. I mean, what we've seen, you know, last year when the receivers went down, they just haven't done anything with the passing game. So, I mean, I, I think right now that's what, you know, Iowa has to do is flex that muscle, allow that muscle to work, because it's, it's just not working the way that they need to. So, you know, I, I think you'll see eight, nine gophers in the box, and they're going to see, you know, guys really try to stop the run. Well, you're going to have to play fake off that, force them back. Once you can force them back, make them respect you deep, then you can go back and, you know, and then you can start working the run again. But I mean, this point, you've got to go past first, then run, because it's just, as we've, you know, as I've said, man, this is just not not what you want to see. And the defensive secondary for Minnesota has been plagued by injuries all year. They've started a slew of folks back there. 11 defensive backs have played, and seven of those are underclassmen. So you'd think that's the, the, the bigger vulnerability on Minnesota's defense. Now, another thing that's concerning about the Gophers is they're tied for first in the Big Ten and sixth nationally in fumble recoveries. That's led to their plus four turnover margin. And of course, as we know, Iowa's fumbled 14 times and lost nine. Yeah, that is a that is a problem area for Iowa. It hasn't been as much recently, or at least, you know, it wasn't so much the other day. But, you know, that that's something that's a concern. You know, Iowa generally, you know, all the things that Iowa does well, it hasn't done well this year, you know, which is run the football, which is uh, be able to, uh, you know, uh, be penalty free, win the turnover game, win field position, you know, stop the run. They have done a little bit of that, but the turnovers are, are the crucial part. They have to start forcing them. I mean, they didn't get any the other day. And had they forced, uh, you know, a, a one or, or whatever, I mean, I think it would have been, you know, a much different game, you know, and if, especially if they would have done it in their territory. Instead, you know, they were kind of playing even or behind, and that just isn't the way Iowa wins football games. Talk a minute about some of the key Minnesota defensive players. Again, they're led by their linebackers, Jonathan Celestine, and then Thomas Barber of the Barber family fame up in Minnesota. And then on the defensive line, they're anchored there by a defensive tackle, a senior named Steven Richardson, whose nickname is Stove, and he's he's required double teams pretty much all season long, which will put even more stress on Iowa's offensive line. He's uh, he, he is a stove, and it's because he's not real tall, but he sure is stout, and that's <laughs> that could be a real problem for Iowa. I mean, he's just you know he's six foot, two hundred ninety-two pounds. James Daniels said that he was the most difficult guy he's had to block uh, because he's so low, you can't get lower than him. He's quick, he's explosive, and he's physical. You know, in some ways, he's like a bigger version of John Randall, who used to play for the Vikings and stuff. And I mean, like more a wider version, I should say. And so you know, and he's tenacious. So I think you have all those things coming at you, and it's just you know, and it's weird because I think he'd be a perfect Iowa guy. He's from Chicago, but you know, they they just have never been able to make it work. So, but anyway, blocking him is going to be the challenge because Iowa hasn't been very good on its inside zones at all year. Despite that, you'd think that might be a strength with James Daniels and, and Sean Welsh. So they're going to have to make sure their double teams don't stay double teams, that somebody can get a push on them so they can get to the next level. Otherwise, those things are going to be dead on arrival. After this break, Scott talks the punch list for Iowa's defense and some special teams plus the Big Ten.
Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low-slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. Back with Scott Doctorman, turning now to the punch list for Iowa's defense against Minnesota's offense. The Gophers have started two quarterbacks this season. First six games, it was Connor Rhoda. Last week at, at against Illinois, it was uh, Demery Croft, who is a dual-threat quarterback. And, and they're led and probably best known offensively so far this season by a pretty awesome trifecta running back, Rodney Smith, Shannon Brooks, and, and uh, Kobe McCrary. Yeah, that's their strength for sure. I mean, you know, you remember, you know, they had, a, you know, a three year starter there and Mitch Leidner who you know graduated and, and that's been a real challenge for them and you know to, to replace him so they've done it kind of both ways you know Connor Rhoda you know is uh, you know started early but he wasn't didn't have a lot of skills and then De- Demery Croft is more of a, a run threat option and and uh, last week he was not real good throwing the football but to be nice but uh, you know but they do have running backs I mean not to put this in that Maroney Barber category but but you know when they have you know Brooks and uh, Rodney Smith when they have those two guys kind of at a rolling, I mean, they're, they're really tough to stop. They've been good for a long time. So, uh, you know, Shannon Brooks, I, I remember, I think he threw, didn't he throw like a pitch pass, uh, you know, a couple years ago at, at Kinnick? And I don't think Rodney Smith even played. He was injured in that game. But so, you know, they've, they've got some, you know, they've had experience against obviously great running backs, but these two and, and you know, and Kobe McCrary's right in there too. I mean, you know, I, I think they've, uh, you know, they've got a real, you know, difficult um, running game to stop. I mean, and, and and that's going to be a challenge for Iowa. Third in the Big Ten at 188 yards average rushing per game, 4.2 yards per carry. They have kind of a neat story, a sophomore wide receiver, Tyler Johnson, and they've been decimated by injuries at wide receiver too, but he's uh, he's had a terrific season so far. 499 yards receiving, seven touchdowns, three 100-plus yard games so far. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. He's actually a, uh, uh, you know, close friend with Imani Hooker, who's from that part of the world. So, uh, I mean, they know we each other well they've had some conversations so you know he had eight catches against Michigan State and you know he had a 67 yarder at, at Oregon State so you know he even had three touchdowns against the Spartans so I mean you got to be you got to watch him now that's one area I think the most fascinating part about this Iowa team if I was you know wasn't so close to it I'd back up and watch this every area where you thought was a strength has been kind of a weakness and every weak area you thought was a weakness has turned out to be a strength so you know pass defense um, against a guy like Tyler Johnson you know, thinking back into August, that might be a challenge. Um, now I'm looking at it and going, you know what, that might be when Iowa's strength. So, but he's going to, he's going to give Iowa a run for its money in the secondary. And Minnesota has a string of productive and large tight ends in the season's no exception. It seems like their tight ends play, I don't know, eight, 10 years. They're here forever, but they've got uh, Nat Wozniak and Brandon Lingen. They're both seniors and their offensive line has been plagued by injuries as well. They've only had one lineman uh, start all seven games. And on Iowa's side, they're 
They're 20th nationally in scoring defense, 5th in the Big Ten at just 18.4 points per game. Certainly getting Josie Jewell back this weekend is essential. <laughs> yeah, I would say. I'm sure it just about killed him not being able to play the other day. I mean, he even had his wrists taped, even though we, he knew he wasn't going to play. You know, it just shows you how much it was driving him nuts that he wasn't going to be out there. And But, you know, defensively, I thought they played well. They, what they didn't do was there was a couple of big plays that they didn't execute, and that came back to really bite him. I mean, one was on a you know a third and 16, I want to say, and there was a 21-yard run, and then the big play in overtime against Justin Jackson. It was third and nine. There was some miscommunication there. Imani Hooker kind of taps uh, you know uh, Ben Neiman, who is playing middle linebacker, but he was over the top of a wide receiver, and taps him and kind of pushes him over in, uh, in the tackle box. Justin Jackson, you know, gets out free, and you know because uh, uh, Neiman got kind of clipped by the receivers, and and then uh, you know when he had a chance to make a tackle, he was an arm tackle because he wasn't on him very good, and and so that's pure miscommunication, and I think that was part of the the problem for Iowa is just had a couple of mental errors, and you know on that play, you know I, I would dare say that Imani Hooker would not tap Josie Jewell to have him go back inside. I think he would probably say, um, that's Josie, I'm not going to mess with him. So you know, so he would have been out there. Maybe they tackle him. It's a field goal attempt. Then Iowa probably matches with a field goal attempt, and you're in double overtime, and who knows, maybe they still lose. But you know, that's just one play, but one play matters. And that's probably one that people didn't see very closely. And of course, Josie still leads the Big Ten with 70 tackles and 11.7 tackles per game. Also leads the conference and is fourth nationally. Iowa has had some success in terms of sacks. They've had 15 sacks so far this season. And you'd think against the Minnesota line, which again has been hurting, they might have some success there this weekend as well. I think so. I think that, you know, th- these are some really good ends. You know, Anthony Nelson has come along. I thought he would might be kind of the underrated player of the Big Ten, and he's proven to be that. Um, what does he have, like four and a half sacks now? I mean, you know, A.J. Epineza has gotten a consistent pass rush, and the one guy that I thought uh, the other day played his best game was inside, and that was Nathan Budgeta. He had, I think, a sack and a half, and was, you know, he, and he kind of joked, he goes, well, yeah, but that's because I was cleaning it up after everybody else. But no, I thought he was, you know, he was there, he was you know, in the backfield, you know, doing his job, and, and that's something that, you know, the inside people haven't talked enough about and it's probably because they've lost a couple of games here closely but you know the interior had they they made a change um you know you saw matt nelson's the starter now instead of cedric Lattimore, and and uh, i thought he got a little bit better pass rush so you know up inside they've, they've been good you know nelson as i said you know he has five sacks uh anthony nelson aj up has a two and a half but you know they need a little more push up front in the middle and i think uh you know matt nelson's the guy to do that and that's if they can get more push there that'll allow the the ends to be a little more one-on-one and then that and I think that's their strength quick glance at special teams Ryan Gersandi looks like he's going to be the starting punter at least indefinitely and he really did well last week in spite of some wind issues at Northwestern and you had Miguel Racinos miss his uh, second field goal all season long but come back to hit the game tire with a minute 30 left in regulation yeah I mean Racinos I think he needs just to be a little more consistent from 40 within I mean that's where he's missed his two but you know he's also hit for he's four for four from 40 to 49. So that's really, you know, crucial. He had that big one last week, a 48 yarder, you know, and it's too bad. Again, if they, if Iowa could have held him to a field goal, then he would have gone out there and probably knotted it up. Um, you know, uh, Grisande was a, that was a need move when they did it. And now, you know, he's, he's got eight punts, but he's averaging 47 yards a punt. That's, you know, incredible. He's got four 50 plus punts, you know? So I, I think right now that, that, that was a good move. He was a, a scholarship guy for a reason. They did bring in Colton 
Stetter for one uh, rugby style kick. And and really, you know, with when you have two punters, there's no, you know, Colton can still get his letter by holding for extra points. So I think they should let him continue to do that and allow Gersande to be the guy to kick the ball. Minnesota has two pretty good specialists as well. Their place kickers, Emmett Carpenter, who was among the league's best last year and statistically he's the most accurate kicker in Minnesota history. And then their punter is Ryan Santoso, who moved over from kicker last year and he's first in the conference right now, averaging 45 yards a kick. Yeah, I think he's the guy that, um, you know, when you look at it with uh, Minnesota, he's another one that seems like he's been there forever. And he has. This is his fourth year there. And, and uh, you know, along with Lingen, who's six foot ten, believe it or not, and land uh, the other guy, uh, well, no, Wozniak's six ten, and, and uh, Lingen is six five and about 500 pounds. So, you know, the, all those guys have been there forever, it seems. Rodney Smith, you know, but uh, but Santoso, yeah, he's he's been there for a long time. And, you know, now he's, he's you know, been, he was a punter last year, and, you know, he's also kicked. So, you know, he's a threat, and, and you got to be cognizant of him because he is, he's been there a long time, and he's been very successful. Maybe the, the most pressing question, if there is one right now on special teams for Iowa, is punt returner because Josh Jackson had another questionable decision-making uh, process last week at Northwestern that resulted in an 80-yard punt for the Wildcats. Kirk says he's keeping an open mind there about that position. I'm not sure exactly what that means. I would, uh, yeah. I mean, that that's a tough call because I think, Josh, you know, you want to have a two-year guy there. I think he's got some good abilities. That was a questionable decision, but that was also a monster kick. And, uh, I mean, had he been backed up, he might have been able to field it and, and done something with it rather than let it go. And then, but, but of course, letting it go, Iowa's defense had a great stop on that first drive of the second half, and then boom, <laughs> 80-yard punt. They're back in their third on their three, and that led to you know ultimately it helped uh, Northwestern score because it flipped field position. So you know they've got to do something there. I I, I still would caution against changing that position, but you know if if you want to have somebody a little more secure, maybe it's time to go back to Matt Vandenberg. Let's take a quick look at the Big Ten before we get your pick for this Saturday's game. Last week, kind of some interesting results. You had Rutgers defeating Purdue, I think, which was very surprising. Michigan State had a hard time at Indiana, finally came out the victor there, and Penn State just decimated Michigan. Yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised. I guess my first surprise was was Purdue going down. I thought Purdue was really starting to build something, and, and I think, you know, everybody kind of got behind it and like, wow, okay. You know, I mean, I think Jerry Palm even had him in the Outback Bowl, and I'm like, well, they're going to get dinged a couple of times. I didn't expect them to get dinged by Rutgers, but you know, Rutgers is growing a little bit too. And I, I think they are, they're a team that some stock there. I think they're going to be better. You know, I mean, the way Penn State just rolled over Michigan really shows that it's a two-team race, in my opinion. I think Michigan State's a good team, but I think they're going to find out in, in a few weeks that they are at a second level. And and so this, this epic matchup between Penn State and Ohio State, I think is going to be terrific because these are two playoff caliber teams. I think Michigan State's a Citrus Bowl caliber team and, and Michigan's a Holiday Bowl caliber team and, and Wisconsin's probably in that same boat too. They haven't been challenged yet this year. So I, I think this matchup between Penn State and Ohio State will be one of the bigger, better games in the Big Ten we've seen in a while, at least in the regular season. Yeah, and Michigan State at Northwestern, that could be an interesting game too. And then you have Nebraska at Purdue. I wouldn't even know how to pick that one. Yeah, that's a night game. And I don't know what to, you know, I'm glad I guess I'm not, I, I, would, I would probably watch it, you know, if it was like a Friday night game, but <laughs> but yeah, I don't know what to do about that one. And that, that is the strangest uh, scenario because, you know, we've kind of written off Nebraska. They're going to fire their coach and blah, 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 but they still are three and four. They've, they've beaten Rutgers. 
Rutgers and uh, Illinois, so they haven't really beaten anybody. But you know, Purdue's again kind of a new program that's one and what one and three in the Big Ten. So I mean, this could be uh, you know interesting. I think the winner actually has an outside shot at, at getting to a bowl game, and uh, you know, the loser does not. Um, you know, but then uh, I'm anxious to see Michigan State at Northwestern because they've had great games over the years. This is a series that Michigan State wanted to preserve in the worst way when they went divisional, and so they get them for the, you know a six-year period. So I'm anxious to see that one probably more than any of them other than the one I'm covering and, of course, Penn State and at uh, Ohio State. All right, back to Floyd of Rosedale here, Iowa, hosting Minnesota. This game actually has some importance with respect to potential bowl slotting, but especially if you're Iowa and you lose this game, you might not be bowl eligible. So what's your prediction? You know, I, there's been a lot of angst, more so than I've ever seen, really, for an Iowa team that lost a road game as the underdog in overtime. It wasn't like they went to Purdue and lost. It wasn't like they lost to Rutgers. I mean, they went to Northwestern, and everybody knew it was going to be a tough game, and it was. Their best player was out on defense, and they lost in overtime. You know, they lost at, at you know, now a ranked team in Michigan State that's, what, 6-1. and one. You know, they lost to Penn State on the last play of the game. This is a good team. You know, they've got some struggles, and we're we're definitely filling the airwaves with all of them and more. But we, but we forget, this is a good team. This is a good defense. This is a, they've got a really good young quarterback who's throwing 16 touchdowns and only three interceptions. They've got a running back who's going to play in the NFL. They just need to get their offensive line tuned up. And one of these days, it's going to be tuned up and it's going to go. I think this is the day. I, I don't usually do these. I usually keep them pretty tight. I think Iowa blows out the Gophers at home. I think this one's going to be a decisive win for Iowa to kind of wipe away the stench of the three out of four losses there. And, and so I think Iowa wins this one. I'm going to go 34 to, to 14. And uh, I think Iowa's offense starts to roll. I think the defense holds them. In fact, I'm going to change it to 34-13. So um, I think this is a game where Iowa gets back on the right track and looks ahead to Ohio State and Wisconsin. Because if Iowa loses this game, then you lo- you know you play two powerhouses that's going to be hard to win. You could be staring at a four-game losing streak with your final two happen to go to a bowl game. I think this team's too good for that. So I see a blowout and Floyd stays in Iowa City for another year. That is good news. That is good news. You have to believe that the text messages are flying in to Pat Fitzgerald's phone as Nate Stanley nearly took the Hawkeyes for the game-tying score. Northwestern a winner in overtime. What a great Big Ten game. Pat Fitzgerald gets the victory. Northwestern 17-10. Your final score over the Iowa Hawkeyes. Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Our 
our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights this week. Thanks, as always, to Scott Docterman. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 11 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.